I thought you give me the hat. Uh, if you have a Facebook, you see the Trinity Bible Fellowship Facebook page. You see the bulletin cover in living color. Anybody see that this week? That just Ben, my son Ben, does these for us, and based on the theme, I send out each week, and and uh, it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Uh, he's got a lot of talent and, and can do things that I I can't even imagine. You know where he comes up with this stuff sometimes, but. Uh, when you look at this, you see the bold knight standing, you know, valiantly facing the dangers of that silly dragon that would dare to oppose him. We all know the knight wins in the end. Actually, I think the picture would be more accurate if it was the damsel in distress <laughs> uh, to what we have. It's because what we have is a dragon, dragon's attack and a woman being protected in the wilderness. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reality is none of us can defeat the dragon. The dragon is the devil, by the way. None of us can defeat the dragon. We, we can't. It is not within our, the realm of our ability to, to defeat or overcome him. But it, that really doesn't matter. Because if the, God says the dragon can't hurt us, the dragon can't hurt us. And, and that is really the lesson, uh, the application of today. Oh, the lesson is a whole lot more complicated than that. We are in that part of Revelation where it just goes, wow. I know he's saying something. I can't tell what it is. <laughs> and, and we get into the fantastical language of, of apocalyptic language. And, and uh, uh, we did look at this when we first started uh, I, in, in Revelation back in September. I, I did a sermon on, on background understanding Revelation. And I, I turned to this chapter to discuss the meaning of these different things uh, to show that we can. And one of the main principles we, we are taking in the book of Revelation is that everything has specific meaning and we can understand it. There are places where, and I, as I say that, there are places where I go, I don't know. And, and we understand that as well because ability to comprehend everything or, or put everything back with, with confidence is not necessarily there. But the understanding that there is a specific thing meant and being taught is, and we can understand this. So let me first read through uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go back and uh, pick it apart a little bit more. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne." And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And you go, okay, that's really bizarre. Okay, I don't know what to do with that. And so, so we're going to come back and, and kind of review what we talked about four, four months ago, five months ago, September, uh, and, uh, and, and, and move on from there and, and re-hit a lot of the same, same information. First is, is decoding the symbols. Uh, once you, you know, when you find something in code, first you have to crack the code, and then you can understand the message. 
Okay, I like to do word puzzles. One of the word puzzle things you do is cryptograms. And you, you look down and you, you have these, these sentences that make no sense with words that don't work until you figure out that A actually is C and D is W. And before long, once you start figuring it out, you can read it. And once you start replace all the letters, you can read the message. Okay, this is not exactly the same, but it's the same principle. Once we figure out what each symbol means, then we can figure out what the message is. And, and so we're going to do that. Uh, they have, what we have here is apocalyptic language, which means weird word pictures. But the word pictures still have specific meaning. The word picture means something, and we can know what it means. And once we know what the picture means, we can learn what the message is. Okay, We have meanings that we can know and that we can demonstrate why we say this is the right answer. And that's important, so it's not like, well, I feel like the dragon's the devil. I just said the dragon's the devil, right, two minutes ago. Okay, but it's, but, and, I, and I do feel like the dragon's the devil, but I can demonstrate the dragon's the devil. Okay, so, so that makes it a lot easier. Uh, I feel like the stars he swept from the sky are demons. Okay, but I can show you why it's more than just a feeling. Now, what do I feel about this woman? It's like, I don't know, she confuses me. <laughs> and, and so we're, but we can also figure it out. We can understand this. And when I say she confuses me, I actually know the answer. And when I say know the answer, I'm highly confident that the answer I have is correct. But, but if I was based on feelings, I'd be going... I don't know, okay? And so we want to be able to not only have an answer, but demonstrate it's true. And either what I'm saying is true, or we simply guess our way through the book of Revelation, giving arbitrary meanings to different passages based on how we feel today, how we slept last night, and how hungry we are, and, and hope that we get things right. Uh, and, and so we went through, as I said, we went through this in September to establish that we can understand it, we're going to repeat some of it and also add to it. So uh, I'm going to start with the woman and the child. And, and I'm going to start actually with the child first. And he's not first in order, but he's the easiest because he's Jesus. <laughs> and, and you know, the answer is Jesus. Once we establish him as Jesus, you, 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 figure out, you figure out one point and then the other points start falling into place pretty easy. The dragon's also easy, but the child is Jesus. He is the male child who will rule the nations. Right? And, and you go, well, you know, does it have to be Jesus? Could it be someone else along the way? Well, if you remember last week, uh, we, we went and we were looking at uh, just uh, up the page a little bit. Chapter 11, verses 18, verse 18 it says, The nations rage uh, and your wrath came. And I took you to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And, and, and we see that he was uh, working very closely here. Uh, God, in, in Psalm 2, inspired a thousand years, more than a thousand years before Revelation was written, uh, is, was about this same thing in many ways. It was a, it's a messianic psalm of, of the second coming of Christ. And, and what we find here is, uh, he was referring to Psalm 2, verse 1, or, or using Psalm 2, verse 1, the nations raged, but your wrath came. We, well, he's using Psalm 2 here again. You go, wow, this is a good psalm, that Psalm 2. Turn to Psalm 2 with me, if you will, and uh, we will see what he has to say. It's one of the places my Bible turns to easily in my brand new Bible, because I was there last week. <laughs> 
Uh, Psalm 2, last week we looked at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves, again the rulers, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying let's burst his bonds apart and cast away their cords for us. That's what we looked at last week. But let's go down just a little bit farther on. Let's go down to verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He will dash them with a rod of iron. This psalm, Psalm 2, written a thousand years before, talking about the son whom you'd better kiss. <laughs> you'd better make peace with the son. The one in, uh, you just read Psalm 2 and Jesus just bleeds out of this psalm uh, or, or screams out of it. There's no question that this is a, psalm, a messianic psalm about Jesus ruling with a rod of iron. And so when we read that the child will rule with a rod of iron in Revelation, we know we're talking about that same child. Now, if you have an NIV, when you read that, it sounded a little bit nicer. Mine says, we'll break them, right? The NIV says, we'll rule them with an iron scepter. And I, I think maybe the uh, interpreters of the NIV said, you know, we know this is quoted in, in uh, Revelation, and in Revelation he says, rule them with a rod of iron. So we'll make it rule instead of break. Because every other version I looked up said break, and so I went to my shelves and started pulling down books. It's one of those, one of those weeks. Some weeks, you walk in, you see me working on a sermon, I've got a Bible set there. Some weeks, I've just got books piled all over the place. I want people to walk in when the books are piled, because then I look smarter, right? Uh, and and that's, that's a good thing. I want to look smart. You know, if you can't be smart, look smart, okay? Uh, uh, anyway, um, it, it, the Hebrew word clearly means break. It, 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 it means break. There's no other way to use it but break. But it also is usually used in terms of punishing people. And, and, and it has to do not only with the, the intent, the, the definition of breaking, but the, the uh, what do you call that when a word has a connotation? A connotation of punishment. And so when it says he will rule them with a rod of iron... It means he will rule them by punishing them with a rod of iron, which is what you would naturally imply, but it's also implied by the words, by the passage. They, they, they in, include this idea that Jesus, the Son, is going to rule by the liberal use of his rod of iron, meaning strict, hard punishment. Uh, and back to Revelation 12, the child being born who will rule the nations with a rod of iron and caught up to heaven. It's like well, the, the farther you go down this trail describing what's going to happen uh, and, and Psalm 2, and, and what's going on here. There's, there's just no question. This child is Jesus. This child is Christ, but not at his first incarnation. In, this, in his first incarnation, we read, the Father did not send the Son to judge the world or condemn the world, but that the world might have life through him. Right? That was the first incarnation, the first time he came. He did not come to judge. He did not come to rule. He came to give life. He came to bring forgiveness. But when he comes the second time, it will be to rule. And if you think about, we think about the millennial kingdom that's going to come someday. Jesus ruling on a throne in heaven. We think, won't that be nice? It'll be nice if you are nice. <laughs> if you're not nice, there is a rod of iron, and no wonder people will be good. Uh, it's hard, hard to, to, to argue with that. But so then we go 
go, now we know that the child is Jesus, right? A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And we say, well, the woman must be Mary, except the woman isn't Mary. I'm sorry, the, the woman isn't Mary. Mary bore the child, but if you, we follow on with it, after the child is born, it says, uh, uh, let's see, back to verse 4. His tail swept a third of the stars from the heaven, cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God upon his, and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where he ha, he, she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And that 1,260 days puts us straight in that second half of the, of the tribulation, and uh, if, if it's Mary, then sometime after Jesus ascended into heaven, Mary went into the wilderness for 1,260 days and was protected from some great danger. And you go, I, I don't remember reading that. <laughs> and, and neither is it hinted at or implied or told in any story anywhere that I'm aware of. Uh, it's not Mary, even though the first jump, you think you, it would be easy to think that. But as we look through the entire picture we're given, it doesn't work. And it's like, you know, I'm not one of those people who can go to the, the museum and sit there and just look at a work of art and, and go, ooh. And, and as the more I look, the more I find deeper meaning. But, but I have had this interesting experience. Uh, many of you know Tina Fisher. Used to attend here, tremendous artist. And she was, she was working on a piece of art once that she showed me where someone had a photograph of the family, uh, an old family photograph of a harvest going on. And it was the old combine pulled by the oxen, and there were three or four people up on the thing. And the photograph was of such a nature that, that uh, you could tell there were people there. And as she worked on it, and she's turning this into a portrait, and she, she showed me how, as she worked on it, she figured out this person was a woman because that had to be a dress she's wearing. But the only way she figured that out was by working on it, trying to copy the details, because otherwise, just looking at it, all you saw was there were four people on this, this, this combine. But as she looked and studied the details intently, but you had to get the whole picture to get that detail. Well, to understand what's going on here, you can't just look at it here and say, okay, I understand, without looking here also. When we look at the whole picture, we understand this can't be Mary, it's got to be someone else. And again, looking at the whole picture as we explore it, as we, we, we study it, we go back to Genesis. Some of you will remember exactly where we go. Genesis 37, verse 9. And we are in the passage where Joseph is having his dreams, the dreams that got him into trouble. And... Uh, the words I used to describe this uh, the last time, I think, were because we've read the whole book, the pictures make sense to us. Okay, and, and that's an important thing to recognize. Gen uh, Revelation is the end of the book, and it's bringing everything together so that it makes sense. The whole book is brought into play. And as you notice, as we've gone through this, we've, we've been in Daniel, we've been in Heze uh, Zechariah, we've been in Malachi, we've been in Matthew, we've been, we've been all around the book, and we are, have been in Genesis more than once, right? Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, uh, 9 and 10, Joseph is telling his dream. And, and it goes like this. I keep looking at the wrong place, so I'm looking for the wrong verses. 
Uh, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and brother, to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow, down, bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind, which was, by the way, how it ended up in Scripture, because his father remembered it. So he has this dream where the sun, the moon, and eleven stars are bowing down to him. In Revelation chapter 12, we have this woman dressed, or standing, dressed with the sun, standing with the moon at her feet, and it's crowned. Of, of 12 stars, not 11, around her head. It's, it's very clearly he's using that word picture to describe this woman. That is all of Israel represented there in that picture. It is, it is, this is Israel. These are the 12 sons who become the, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is, this is Israel. And, it, and when we say that, then the pieces of what we read in 12 make a lot of sense. Jesus is born of, of the nation of Israel, right? Israel is is the woman who brings him forth. The dragon wants to, to kill the son, which, by the way, happens when Herod tries to kill the baby. Uh, he, he is, I'm sure, demonically inspired to what he's doing. Uh, and, and Israel is often depicted as, as, as God's wife in Scripture, usually as an adulterous wife or an unfaithful wife, but often as his wife. Uh, Israel is the woman here, the woman of giving birth to, to a child. And understanding the woman is Israel, everything makes sense. Jesus is born of Israel. He's taken up to heaven. She is protected in the wilderness. But, but, but I'm going to bring something into mind. This is, this is uh, um, understand, I am approaching this from what they call a dispensational approach. The dispensational approach says that, that uh, between uh, the first 69 years of Daniel, which ended at, at, with Christ, and the 70th year of Daniel, which is the tribulation, there is this block of time given to the age of grace or the church. And the last seven years of Daniel, the last of Daniel 7, is the tribulation year. And it's set apart by this time. And so this, this last verse is at the end time, not immediately following. And because otherwise, this, it, you can't make it make sense. It can't work unless you just spiritualize everything and nothing has any specific meaning. And by spiritualizing it, I mean you come up with it meaning whatever you want. And, it, and it, it's kind of like words have no meaning if that takes place. Uh, and so we, we come up, when I say we, I mean this was figured out long before me. I just agree with it. Uh, we have this dispensational approach which say the dispensation of the Jews is different from the dispensation uh, of the church and the Gentiles. Okay, so we're going to see how that unfolds, and we'll look at the timing of everything uh, in a little bit. So the dragon, well, like I said, we know who the dragon is. I don't need to say anything. We all know who the dragon is if we don't say anything, but I'm going to say a few things anyway. I'm going, to say, I'm going to be bold enough to say the dragon is the serpent that tempted Eve in the wilderness. Uh, you know, Genesis 3, chapter 1, the serpent was more... more uh, uh, devious, more cunning than any other creature of the garden. And, and then uh, he was cursed so that he would crawl upon his belly and lick up dust. And so typically if you see a picture of this, you see a picture of a snake curled around a branch at the tree, which doesn't work because he didn't lose his legs yet. Or you see something that looks like a lizard. I'm sorry, the, the snake, the, the serpent was not a little lizard. You know, it makes me think of, of the Disney cartoon Mulan. And, and, and the little dragon? <laughs> yeah, he wasn't 
Yeah, he wasn't Mushu. He wasn't Mushu. <laughs> he, was, he was the big dragon. <laughs> he, was, he was the dragon on the front. I think, you know, I think you know, if you take a picture of a dragon, tip, I mean, anything from the serious, scary dragon, you, you take the dragon from the, the Disney again, the Sleeping Beauty. Was that the one where the evil queen became the dragon? And, and, or, or, or you take the one from uh, Pete's Dragon. You know, the goofy-looking one with the little tiny wings up there. Either one, you take the wings off, and it looks like a dragon, I mean, a dinosaur. What's the difference between a dragon and a dinosaur? We believe in dinosaurs, but we don't believe in dragons. That's the whole difference. He doesn't, it's it's just like, come on. I think think we're talking about a dinosaur that didn't have wings, (laughs) that that, uh, he took the the legs from, and it became a, uh, a serpent. Uh, and, and maybe I'm overstepping here, but I don't think it was a little lizard. I think it was a dinosaur of the dragon-type appearance. The dragon is Leviathan, the serpent punished by God. You say, what, when did God punish a serpent named Leviathan? Well, Isaiah wrote about it. Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 27, verse 1. In that day... The Lord with his hand and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. You see, we can argue about whether there were ever dragons or not or whether such a thing, but what we're arguing about is is whether the fanciful image of what we in our cartoons make dragons to be or what a dragon really would have been. I remember a, a young lady wrote to me once, this is years and years ago, saying, uh, you know, everything you believe in the devil is wrong. You, you, it just comes out of medieval mythology and artwork. And I wrote back and I said, what do you think I believe about the devil? And she said, well, that he's red, has horns, a pitchfork, and a tail. <laughs> and I wrote back and I said, what makes you think I believe that about the devil? It's just like, if I'm going to draw the devil, that's how I'm going to draw him, because that's what we accept. But I'm not, I don't, I, I, I mean, I was just like, and she, when I brought, explained to her, she goes, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, you might not be wrong about the devil, uh, but, but uh, you know, it's, it, we, we are familiar with the word avatar today, right? The dragon is the, the devil's avatar. That is the way he is presented. It is the image for him. I'm not saying the devil is a big creature, you know, with a massive tail and, and all that. I'm saying that is the avatar. What is, what is the dragon? The largest, most fierce, splendid creature God ever, dangerous creature God ever made. I mean, the, the, you have other dinosaurs that were bigger than, you know, the, I, I, I picture T-Rex kind of thing, you know, so maybe, maybe the s- smaller version, I don't know. Uh, but but the, the dragon is, is what makes sense here. Uh, you know, a, a lizard won't do, but a thunder lizard might. <laughs> and that's what d- dinosaur means, is, is thunder lizard. So if I'm right about Eden, the creature Eden, the creature the devil chose for his avatar was the dragon. And it makes sense. Okay, so, so there's no question the dev- dragon is the devil. We know that anyway, but it's, it's kind of interesting to look at some scripture that would support that in other places. The stars that fall down are fallen angels. Job 38 says, were you there uh, when the morning stars, uh, when the sons of God shouted for joy and the morning stars sang together? And and we have this picture of stars associated uh, with demons. In Daniel 8.10, Daniel talks about stars in a way that associates them 
uh, with angels. Let's see Daniel. Let me see if I can find this quickly. Daniel chapter 8, verse 10 says... It, no, it's not, it, uh, it grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Talking about, about the beast. And it says, some of the host of heaven and some of the stars it threw down. Was well, it talking about physical stars here being thrown down? I think they're symbolic. They're representative of, of uh, the fallen angels or representative of stars, representative of fallen angels. And finally, in Revelation chapter 12 itself, uh, verse 3 says, a dragon... Uh, verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. We go down to verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought against them. And so, so we find this, this is just, you know, it's not absolute proof, but the association is close enough. And if it's going to make any sense at all, we're talking about, about the devil and fallen angels who are with him, the dragon and them. Okay, now that's, that's the description. Oh, wait, the red. I wanted, that, that's what the, the dragon is, who the dragon is, who the fallen angels are. But the description of the dragon is more because he is a great red dragon. Right, he's not just any dragon. He's not a green dragon. He's not an orange dragon. He's not a blue dragon. He is a great red dragon. And, and there's va he, great is simply massive in size. But the word red, the word is poros. And it means a fiery red, a fiery red as if, as if it is emanating from him. And it's contrasted, if you'd like, flip over to Revelation 17, verse 3. We find a description of the beast that the woman re rides on. And it's not described with this, this word, poros. It's, it's described with another word that is translated as crimson. Uh, Revelation 17, 7, and, 7 and through 14, let me read this. The angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads, the ten hordes that carry her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise in the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Let's see. Maybe I just want verse 14. It's not sounding quite right. Oh, it was the scarlet, I, verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. And we'll talk about the horns and the heads in a minute. Uh, what we find here is, is that word scarlet is, is a, a very different word from the word red describing the dragon. The word scarlet is a word used for things dyed red. And, 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 and it was, you know, the, if, if we're going to read meaning into this, the, the dragon has got this fiery red as part of who he is. The beast is merely aspiring to be like him. <laughs> you know, well, that's a weird thing to aspire. You know, we are, if we are God's children, we are supposed to be like him. The beast wants to be like his master. Uh, he can't make it come from him internally, but he can, you know, externally work to apply it. It's kind of interesting. But the word red is, is, is significant as much as anything else. The seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems. We find this again in 13.1. And I saw the beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems. Slightly different uh, description. Uh, we find it in chapter 17, verse 3, the one I just read. Uh, he carried me away into the spirit, spirit in the wilderness. I saw the woman riding on a scarlet beast. was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. Uh, we go back to Daniel chapter 7. These, again, they're not new pictures. We can know what they are. And I'm sorry if you get lost with this, but it's important, if, whether you follow this all or not, to recognize... The, the, the root of this is we know. 
Okay? That, that's, that's the point, point we're making here is we're not making this up. We're not wondering what this says. We know what it says. Uh, and, and so it's important that we do show that we can back it up. Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 through 35. I'm not going to read that whole thing. Um, 23 through 35, he's describing uh, the horns, but I'm going to read just 23 and 24. I'll read 23 through 25. That's what I meant. Uh, and he has, as, th- th- thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it in pieces. As for the ten horns, out of his, this kingdom ten kings will arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. And so we find the ten horns represent ten kingdoms. It, it just simply says that much. But then this is really interesting as we go on to verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the law. You know, when we talk about why does Satan try, doesn't he, hasn't he read the books? Isn't he familiar? It says, he shall think to change the times. He thinks he's smart enough to figure that, he thinks he's got God figured out. He thinks he's got God conned. Yeah, do not be deceived, devil. God is not mocked. Anyway, they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And you go, whoa, he is talking about the same thing. We find out that, that we really can know what these things mean. It is told to us. Uh, we're talking about the same time period, the same time frame. And they will be given over into his hand for a time times and half a time and they are the believers on the earth at that time that's not pleasant thought okay uh, so what we find is is these seven these seven heads are seven uh, let me read it again uh, verse uh, three another sign appeared in heaven behold a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems diadems uh, crowns they're, they're not crowns like crown him with many crowns. They're only used uh, to describe these things. Uh, but the seven heads are seven kings. And as we look at verse 10 in chapter 17, we find that they are seven kings historically. Chapter 17, verse 10, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he will remain only a little while. And so he says five of these kings are already gone. One is, one is yet to come. He's describing these kings historically. These seven heads are seven kingdoms, uh, probably world reigning kingdoms over the period of time. Uh, the diadems seem to represent rulers. And, and in 1912, we find Jesus, when he approaches from heaven, he's wearing many diadems, uh, ruler of many nations, lord of lords, uh, king of kings and lord of lords. So the short version of all this is the devil is coming to rule on earth. Okay, that is what he's doing. He's coming to rule the world. That's decoding the, pi- the words. I mean, that's decoding the pictures. So now if we put them together, uh, one to five tell the story of Jesus' first coming. Right? And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars in heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, she might, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. 
Okay? That is the history of, of, of the Jesus' first incarnation. Uh, the, the devil wanted to destroy him. He was born of Israel. The devil wanted to destroy him. He was of Israel, of the line of David. Uh, Satan tried to destroy him even at birth. When Jesus finished his work, he ascended into heaven. And everything is now in place in the past. Verse 6 takes us to the 1,260. Fast forward, get in your little time machine, and go from the resurrection of Christ, the, the beginning of this, the, this age of the Gentiles, the church age, the age of grace, to, to this tribulation time, and we find that this woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for God where she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 12.6 tells us what will happen in that second half of the tribulation, and it's another picture of what's going to happen because we've already looked at the picture of the, of the two witnesses at the temple, right? We've already looked at that. They were there for the, for the, the uh, uh, was that described 42 months, I think? I don't remember if it was 42 months or 1,260 days. The two witnesses at the temple. The, the uh, seven trumpets are the second half. We're going to find this woman protected for the, the three and a half years. We're going to find the mark of the beast and the, the, the beast ruling for three and a half years. This is another one of those things that's happening during these three and a half years. And during these three and a half years, the woman who is Israel is protected in the wilderness. And we'll see that again as we move on. I don't want to beat on that too much right now. But she is to be nourished in the wilderness for 1,260 days. And either that word means something or it means anything. You know? And that's just is If it doesn't mean this same time period, you can make it mean anything you want. Because I don't know what else you can do with it. Either it means some, that or something strange and symbolic or it's the same time frame. And she will be cared for in the wilderness while... While the seven trumpets are taking place, she will be cared for in the wilderness. While the witnesses are at the temple, she will be cared for in the wilderness. While the mark of the beast is being promulgated upon the earth, she will be protected in the wilderness. While the beast wages war against the saints and prevails, she will be protected in the wilderness. Israel will be protected for three and a half years. You go, well, how's that going to happen? And I, my first thought is, you know, there's, where are you going to hide? Because they're satellites, <laughs> you know. They could, well, a lot of bad things have been happening in the world. There might not be satellites anymore, right? Uh, he may be busy. He may because there's going to be wars. One theory is that they're going to go to Petra, and if you want to have fun and you know, just just go Google Petra and look at the images of Petra. Petra is, I mean, is a city carved in stone. It is an amazing place. If you saw the one of the, one of the Indiana Jones movies had them riding horses escaping through Petra. And, and they didn't tell you what it was, but that's what it was. Uh, and, and, and I'm going, you know, that seems really predictable. Seems like if you're in Petra, they know where you are. <laughs> but it could be, I don't know. But I'm thinking, you know, there's so many similarities between this time and the plagues and all those things. Why not wandering in the wilderness where the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for all those years? And you know a remarkable thing? The number of Jews alive at that time will probably be about the same. In Israel today, I forget what the population of Israel is today. I think it's like between 6 and 9 million. Uh, the, Israel, the Jews that came out of Israel at that time, between 2 and 3 million. You know, it's not, you look at that, you go, wow. <laughs> and they could wander in the same place, being fed the same way. They are, she is nourished in the wilderness for this time. And, and, and however it happened, you go, uh, how, how could they be protected in the wilderness? I don't know, but I know God protected Noah in a flood that covered the whole world. 
Yeah, I don't know, but I know baby Moses was safe in the Nile <laughs> till he was saved. I know God led the Israelites through the Red Sea. I, I, I wish we could see a video of that. I want to know. I don't want to see the Ten Commandments one. I don't want to see a cartoon. I want to see, you know, how did that look? You know, were there fish flopping on the ground? You know, did a fish accidentally swim through the water into the air? <laughs> you know, well, I want, I wish I could, I, how, but if God could do that, why can't he protect these people in the wilderness? If God protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, if God protected Daniel in a hungry lion's den, right? God, whatever it takes, God can do it. He can do it. He is able. And you know what? Of all the time in the history of the planet, this would be an awesome time to be a Jew. <laughs> just, to, just to be experiencing this. And, and when you think of who will go into the millennium, well, I think at least all the Jews will because none of them are going to die. They're going to be protected in this second half of the tribulation. We're going to find out as we go through here that the devil gets really angry because he can't get them. He goes after the other followers or the other children of God, which will be the Gentile believers. Great time to be a Jew, though. Well, what do we do with this? Because you know, I keep saying, you know, it's written about then, but it's for now, right? Okay, this is for now. Okay, how? <laughs> well, for one thing, it, it, it uh, um, I mean, it is talking about the Jews, really, not us. It's, it's talking about them. But it, and, it, and I'm talking about, I've already said, you know, that we're, we, I don't expect any of us to be around. <laughs> Could be wrong. I'm not saying because it's so far away. Either rapture or we simply die. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, the outlook is pretty glum that way. But ultimately, I, I just want to say you are dragon as dragon-proof as they are. See, it doesn't matter if you get eaten by the dragon. You survive. Romans 8.31, our scripture reading, right? Uh, I could have had a whole lot more of that read, but I thought, you know, that verse sums it up pretty good. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We, we, we do not have the promise the Jews will have at that time. But we do have a much better promise. Because the promise they have for that time is protection on earth for three and a half years. I'm sorry, I've, I've lived an awful lot of three and a half years's. They come and they go. <laughs> and, and, and they don't take that long. Right? Uh, and, and they're gone. It'd be nice to have a promise for three and a half years, but we have a promise for eternity. Regardless of what happens here, we have a better promise. And we have a promise that whatever we face here, God is for us. And if God is for us, what do the things out there that are against us, what do they think they can do? If we were part of the persecuted church, you know, the, the persecuted church uh, is, is a horrible place to be, and it's a wonderful place to be. When we get to heaven, and we who live our comfortable Christian lives in America meet those who suffered severe persecution and died for their faith, we will be envious of that. I mean, if, if there is such a thing as envy in heaven, we'll be envious of that. You know, I, 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 can, I can hear the words coming out of my mouth, I'm glad I didn't go through what you went through, but at the same time, I wish I did. 
You know, I wish I had had what you have. I wish I understood what you understood. We may face all sorts of things here. We have a better promise than three and a half years of life. We have a promise of eternity. Uh, he's prepared a place in the wilderness for them for that time, but he has prepared a place for you in eternity in his father's mansion. I'll take that one. We don't have to fear the dragon. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the promise you give. And Lord, we don't know what tomorrow brings, and we don't know what you will allow to come into our lives. Father, whatever we suffer, whatever we, whatever we might go through, whatever difficult things, Father, let us in each of them trust in you to get us through them. Have confidence in your love for us and your care for us. Father, I thank you for the blessings we do receive. And while we live in this place and time of blessing, Father, let us use it to reach out and be a blessing to those who are suffering. Father, let us do what we can to help them and protect them and nurture them. But Father, in the meantime, we rest confident in you. I pray in Jesus' name.